Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Welcome to part two of our delightful interview with none other than Adam Kay. If you have not heard part one yet, go back to your feed, click part one, play that, then come back on here for part two. Here's Adam Kay. Going back to post little shit era, you did your A levels. You went. You said you went to university. Where Where did that happen, and what was that like? It's still very traditional for doctors to go to university at some point. So I, I went to medical <laughs> school uh, at. Uh, I was at Imperial College London, uh, which seems to be in the press all the time now for all their their clever graphs about uh, about viruses. Yes. And I enjoyed university. I think um, that's where I made most of the friends that I'm still talking to. Uh, <laughs> doing medicine at university is, is quite unusual because it's a degree that's either five or six years as an undergraduate. Mm. And so all your mates you make in the first year who are doing uh, physics and geology, they've all fucked off and got got jobs uh, earning more than you will until you're 45. Yeah. Uh, but, and you're still in your fourth year, halfway through your degree. So... <laughs> Medicine, the medical students tend to tend to stick together. And I guess much like medicine as a profession is, is old fashioned, so is medical school. And it's almost absurdly so. Like the traditions are mind boggling. And there was a, um, like, for example, it's another medical school at London at the same time I was there. Um, the, the medics rugby team were on tour uh, in, in, on mainland Europe. And they got arrested in a bar for making Bloody Marys with their own blood, you know, and uh, oh and God. that was that was like a sort of I'm not saying it's a normal thing that happened every Wednesday uh, Wednesday afternoon in the you know in the in the, the bars at medical school, but um, it turns out that some of the things that were done didn't translate that well to the the real world. In our you know, Wednesday night was like sports night. Um, and uh, you know, you, you either do your sport, or in my case, you uh, you do the light opera society, um, and then you all go to your to your tables and drink so heavily that there were vomit bins in the corner, uh, in a sort really? of it's sort of horrible. Like I don't even know if the Romans did it or if it was just like a <laughs> an exaggeration even then, but it was it was a weird place. There were these there were these sort of horrible things like something called the centurion which you had to do if i don't know why you had to do it maybe if your rugby team lost or something 
Um, oh God! And there was a hundred shots of beer which were lined up on the bar, and you had to drink one a minute for a hundred minutes. And the only rule was you weren't allowed to leave and go to the loo. So oh there gosh. were these piss-soaked rugby players, hammered and continuing to sort of wander down the this line of <laughs> shots and then eventually hobble off and vomit. And that became my normal wow. because I'd been to a sort of weird Hogwarts school and then I went straight to medical school where this is what you do every... I think it's a stone-fucking miracle that I'm as normal <laughs> as I am. Thank God for the Light Opera Society. But hang on, <laughs> so did you ever do a centurion? No, 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 no. That was I just sort of, the rugby boys. Um, luckily, um, I've never been particularly bothered if people are, are chanting at me and, and telling me that I need to down in one, down. I'm ha- happy to ig- ignore them and uh, and accept their their ridicule for not for not wanting to drink that volume of fluid. Yes, but um, uh, so I so I've happily managed to avoid avoid that but did you find um, did you find your tribe though among among all of this and this very kind of traditional traditional english i want to say but i'm sure it happens all over the world did you manage to find your people i found my people and it was the light opera society Wonderful. and once a year uh they would put on a bit of cole porter or gershwin or gilbert and sullivan oh, and there was there were there were things for everyone to do so as a music nerd i was always in the band either on the saxophone or the piano and as well as the and there was the the people on stage and all the choreographers and the people building the sets and it was it was a it was a great it was a great thing and uh i really enjoyed it and for me that was my team sport Mm. and I was very glad that I found one because I think medical school is quite isolating Mm -hmm. for a lot of people Mm. who don't have their sport or their thing that they do Um, and I, I do wonder if medicine recruits its students on the basis of having extracurricular activities, which you have to have, and then encourages you to do this sort of thing as a surrogate way of giving you a support group. Mm-hmm. So even though they will never do the lecture, or they never certainly never did when I was there, and now it's a bit better, that says some awful stuff will happen. It's fine to struggle. This is what you need to do. Instead of that... Um, you were sort of you were given your friendship group of mm. people who were, you could have a tacit understanding with, and a lot of those people who I who I did these, I thought they were good at the time. I imagine they were absolutely terrible. Um, <laughs> these uh, these plays and, and musicals with, um, they're they're still my uh, my close friends, and more importantly than anything, it instilled a love of musicals. Uh, that has not gone Brilliant. away, and and I and I hope that uh, I hope that very soon they'll be back on stage in London and, and everywhere. Yeah, and, and did, did you come out? Were you out around then? Ish, occasionally, mm. to like the odd person, and there was a, a group at in Imperial for uh, LGBT students that I would sometimes tag along with, and then. Uh, sort of and then not go again for another nine months and I don't know I don't know what it was I don't know if it was me I don't know if it was the university or the subject but Mm. uh also I never had a huge interest you know I don't know if this is an awful thing to say but I never had a huge interest in coming out to people Mm -hmm. 
at any point. And, you know, I keep that side of myself slightly further away. And, and all of a sudden, I'm in a world where quite, you know, it's part of one of the standard questions. If you're going on a telly thing, or you're being interviewed for a newspaper, they say, and so, you know, what's it, are you married, are you whatever? And, you know, and I've started you know, answering that question. I'm not ashamed in, in any way. I've just sort of, I've never, it's never been my defining characteristic, mm. even though it's obviously an enormous part of my life. You know, we talk about it's a lot like you don't have to say if you don't want to say, you know, you don't have to come out if you don't want to come out, you know, we, you know, because there's obviously the narrative around coming out and there's huge benefits for many, many people. But at the same time, some people don't want to. And the I think perhaps there's a question in there about the breadth of representation in the same way we're talking about the breadth of representation of different kinds of people, whether that be race, sexuality, whatever, in medicine the breadth of different versions of being LGBT. And there are no narrow lanes that we all need to fit into. No, no, I think that's, I think that's, that's, that's true. And not long ago, it was, it was, it was coming out day. Yes. And social media was flooded with all these beautiful stories. And I felt a bit embarrassed that I couldn't contribute something that might make, and I'd have, I'd have loved you know, when I was a teenager to have seen some of those things and heard how it can all go really, really well. Mm. But I, yeah, just, I, I felt a bit guilty. I mean, um, when I was at university, there was an intermedical school sort of theatre thing going on where, um, where various people from the various London medical schools, of which there were five, I think, did a show and it was at the, the Bloomsbury Theatre, mm. which uh, on... Um, wherever that is and uh, in Bloomsbury <laughs> and and Leicester and the MC who is actually now uh, a brilliant uh, was was always a brilliant comedian actor but is now a full-time brilliant comedian actor a guy called Mike Wozniak oh, who's in yeah. shows like Man Down yeah, and things. Yeah. I think he's he's wonderful he was also he was one of my best mates uh when I was at uh, when I was at medical school and at the time, I had a boyfriend, and Mike had met my boyfriend, and and Mike was emceeing the night, and said to an audience when I was standing in the wings waiting to go on, and now uh, I can't remember quite what he said, but it was along the lines of uh, my favourite homosexual Jew, uh, Adam Kay, and the audience applauded, um, with the possible exception of my parents. So I proudly invited along to my first, <laughs> first time. I think they, they, they'd see me like do a, a thing on stage at university. And, uh, and, and, and weirdly that intro was never mentioned. So, uh, so did they not know officially? I don't, I don't, I mean, they're not stupid people. Yeah. And I think we always assume that when we come out, everyone's going to be like, oh, no, but uh, I suspect <laughs> they suspected. And that probably just added to their, their suspicion. So we, <laughs> added to their suspicion would be a light, a light way of putting it. <laughs> Darling, do you know what? I just smell a, I smell a summon here. But so were you, were you fearful at that time then? Like prior or prior to that time? Um, is that part of why you weren't saying anything? I don't think, I think the main thing is I didn't want to have what would inevitably be to a certain extent an awkward conversation. Right. And in my mind, I had two options, have an awkward conversation or not have an awkward conversation. <laughs> and I went with, uh, I went with that. So you sort of never really come out, I suppose. It's just sort of, 
gradually happened. Yeah, and as uh, you know, as as with a lot of people, I you know I, I threw them off the scent at various points with relationships with women and things like mm. that, as uh, as as is often the story. And um, but I'm I, I'm pretty sure they uh, they know they went to my wedding, so they they. <laughs> They must know now, even if I've never had had the actual conversation. Another one of those heavy hints. <laughs> <laughs> Please come meet my husband. <laughs> They're going to wise up to this eventually. One time, I did come out to my um, family, though. This is the only occasion it sort of it's really happened. It was the first time that we were going to have like a big family Christmas mm. where. I was there and James, my husband, was there, but also my grandmother was there. Mm. And my mum said, not unfairly, is it worth you you telling grandma before she rocks up for for, for, for Christmas, you know, what's what's going on and who James is? And I was like Yes. Okay. That's, that's probably fair. So I thought what I'll do is I'll drive to pick her up. I'll collect her. And then on the way over, we'll have a, we'll have a nice proper grown up chat. And then when we, and you sort of, uh, she's, uh, she's no longer with us, but she was, a, she was, she was great, but you never know when someone's, you know, 90 in the shade, you know, how they're going to, but react to this sort of thing because you know when they were growing up it was a totally different world and these things weren't spoken of as much and so I was very nervous and so I said so I said just say you know when when you get there you're going to meet James and James is my boyfriend and she turned absolutely grey and looked panic stricken and I thought oh shit and she said Adam this, no 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 I haven't got him a present what, what are we going to do and that was her only her only concern so oh. as it turns out the closest thing I had to, uh, to to coming out to my family was uh was relatively easy that is so lovely and having said you had nothing to share on when they were doing national coming out day those are two beautiful stories Oh yeah. Okay. Fair enough. I know for next year. Yeah. <laughs> so tell me, how did you meet? How did you meet your husband? We met on Twitter. Did you now? Okay. So yeah. So back, back, back when Twitter was nice. Yes. Yeah. Where there were eight pre-Nazis. Yeah. So he's not a Nazi then. That's good. No, absolutely not. He's a very nice man, and uh, we were we we chatted on on Twitter, and he was a uh, he worked in telly as a producer up in. Scotland. Mm. I was living in London and I had a show on a tour I was doing up in Edinburgh at the Church Hill Theatre and we arranged to um, to meet up and that's when we met. And so maybe that's why I'm such a big fan of, uh, of social media. Yeah. Sorts out your dating. So did you DM each other? Yeah, we were, we were just sort of DMing as, as, as pals for a, for a long time. And then um, I spent... Six months basically living on the sleeper train oh. um, between London and Edinburgh, which I, I love the sleeper I've train. I've never I've been. I really want to train. do it. Oh, it's really good. Um, it's basically the, the the closest we've got currently to time travel because <laughs> you go to sleep in the Edinburgh Waverley Station and you wake up and you're in central London. And that, that, that's pretty good. And it's, I, it rocks me to sleep really nicely. Do you share a and cabin with other people? 
I don't because because uh, I thought that sounded terrible. Um, <laughs> so you can you can get that the, the, there's a version. Um, I really I mean it's a very rarefied thing for me to say because it's obviously more expensive to get one on your own. But you know I'd, I'd had enough of dormitories by the time I was uh, by the time I was sixteen, and I sort of don't want to go back there again. Oh yeah. Um, no way. So, uh, but it was, um, and they've recently, I've not actually been on it since they tarted it up and they've made it, I've seen the pictures and it looks really nice, uh, which I'm slightly worried about because the fact that it was basically falling to bits and it was sort of moth-eaten tartan on the walls was part of its charm <laughs> yeah. and the sort of, but, you know, they've put things in like Wi-Fi and USB ports. Uh, and, uh, uh, yeah. They have to touch everything, they? have ruined it. Yeah. <laughs> so true. Um, and so was that strange coming from your family in this land of, you know, doctors and you were sort of, because you'd done your book at that point, you were moving into entertainment I was on stage and I was I was writing scripts mm. before the book. So the book didn't come out until three or four years ago. I don't know. I'm sort of losing track of time. <laughs> this pandemic isn't helping, isn't it? It's all fairly fluid. Um, but it was um, this was when I was a, like a jobbing, you know, comedian, script writer, mm. and it was a very different. Well, my parents could not understand it mm. to the extent that. Um, we bought, this sounds this, this sounds awful, but um, we we bought our first flat together after after a couple of years, and and my parents came to see it, and my and my dad basically was thinking, how have you bought a flat? You don't have a job, <laughs> um, and because from his way of thinking, the stuff that I did was sort of was strange idiotic frippery yeah. and you know my name was never at the end of the credits of any of the tv shows that he watched <laughs> you know uh, comedians for him were the people who were on have i got news for you which at that time i very much was not and um so it's just part of coming from another world mm. but it was a world that i think i i sat a lot better in it turns out i'm not very good at having a boss <laughs> I'm sort of have a natural railing against authority, um, which didn't sit very well in in, in medicine yes. <laughs> necessarily. Yeah. Um, whereas, you know, as a freelance, whatever it is, I, I've sort of found much easier. Also, um, I work very well at night. I like being able to uh, choose my own hours. And also, um, it's a lot gayer in the media, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Was that a nice thing to arrive in? Yes, I think I've made lots of lots of brilliant uh, friends over the, the 10 years so far that I've been working in the media and loads of enemies, more importantly. Well, welcome to media, right? <laughs> <laughs> when you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. 
Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. <laughs> but they'll pretend to be your friends, which is nice. Yeah. You don't get any of that shit in medicine. Yes. No, exactly. But so um, have you ever thought about having a family and all of that with your husband? It's something we've discussed we were discussing it a bit uh, before the world closed mm. down and i'm sure it's something we'll revisit uh we've got a we've got a puppy great uh, which feels like a feels like a good uh dry run was that a lockdown uh, puppy it was a lockdown puppy but it was also a birthday puppy because oh, nice. we'd, we'd wanted a uh, i'd no not we at all i have wanted a puppy for <laughs> um forever and i love particularly Airedale Terriers. Oh, who, um, I love those. Who friends of ours had uh, growing up and that's, that's, that's always been a fixture of what my life was going to look like. And we lived in, in London for years and years and years and, you know, it didn't feel like the kindest place to have it. And uh, we've now moved out of London and uh, we've got a bit of... Uh, got a bit of space for a, for, a, for a dog to wander around in and it was my 40th birthday and James was really struggling to think of what I what he could get me uh, and uh, it turns out the answer was uh, was Pip who's our oh congratulations so where are you living now then I don't know I'd always thought of myself as being a Londoner it had never really occurred to me that uh, moving out of London would be something I could uh, could do but uh, it turns out it works it works well for me. I'm a lot calmer, not having, you know, everyone on top of top of you, you know, how it goes in London. And, and, and I'm no distance to, I still love London, but I can, um, I can use it for its, for its bars and its restaurants and its theatres rather than, uh, rather than living there full time. I completely agree. And I think that everyone post COVID is waking up to that. I think there is such a pressure for people trying to cope in cities and if it, and if all of this covidness means that we can be further out and zoom into stuff it's it's just it brilliant it's I really think I hope it sticks is all I will say Yeah and I I hope it does too and I hope it unlondons a lot of a lot mm. of the country I see a huge number of people struggling to get into um the media because part of it involves moving to London for a job you know an entry-level job in publishing or or in in telly that's going to pay them £17,000 a year and that is not compatible with with living in in London and feeding yourself and getting to work unless you've got some financial support from elsewhere which most people don't and mm. as with medicine, unless that changes, it perpetuates the the problem. And yeah. you see all the, and rightly, you know, I've seen a huge amount of we need to improve diversity across all sorts of things in, in the media. And obviously mm. that's that's right. But part of that is leaving London because yeah. it's, unless you're going to pay your interns all 30 grand a year, which then they're, they're never going to, it's... They're going to be commuting for an hour and a half, you know, a day or, or it's just, I find it very depressing. Yes, I agree. I mean, but the thing is, in some respects, both should be happening, you know, because the thing about media is it's such a funny world because, you know, 
they get away with paying people nothing when actually it's a massive industry that makes a huge amount of money yeah. but it just has this veneer of being oh yeah we don't arts. have that in the budget no you yeah. do you've just you've decided not to put that in the budget yes you, you know very, I'm, you're going yeah. to a meeting in an enormous glass building that the, the rent is clearly costing two million pounds a month and <laughs> and they and unfortunately we can't afford no you've just decided you can't because you don't think it's important enough and they don't think that it needs to change enough to get people from a, a breadth of, of background so hopefully this is we have to look for positives amongst mm. um all the the general awfulness and i think community cohesion is one and that's been nice to see and i think there's a lot of love for the nhs and i think we know what what a good thing we've got and Mm. i think people will fight for it harder than ever if it comes under threat again and and i hope that there'll be a more healthy work-life balance and that we'll realize that the uk isn't just a bunch of people who live in london Oh, I mean, what a brilliant future that would be. And um, I wanted to talk to you a bit about activism as well, because it's been nice to observe and to experience all the brilliantly funny things that you do. But also there's been such a strong thread of activism through a lot of your work. I wonder if you see your future being more like that, being revolving around activism. I I would like it to. I'm in a very lucky position now compared to a lot of doctors or former doctors that people, for whatever reason, want to hear my opinions on things. And, mm. I'm just, you know, there's no chance you'd have invited me on the on the podcast uh, when I was just working on labor ward delivering babies. Um, but now I'm, you know, I've got I've got more of a story to tell than people will listen. Yeah. And the book itself came out of a political crisis which resulted in the junior doctors striking. And I published the book so people could realise that the doctors weren't striking because they were being greedy and they wanted more money. I wanted people to realise what the job actually involved and the government weren't necessarily telling the truth um, when they when they said that the, the doctors mm. were, were, were in it for themselves. And, uh, and that's what it was born from. And... It has given me this platform. And the single thing that I'm proudest about is that as a direct result of publishing this book, it gave me an audience with two health secretaries, the second Mm. whom of which, Matt Hancock, um, had a big long discussion with me about what single thing that he could do that would that would make a bit of a difference and um and and I talked about the mental well-being of of healthcare professionals and he listened and in credit to him and I am absolutely not a member of the conservative party and it's not a it's not a a flag I I wave but credit to people who do good things he put a load of money behind um a service that was previously just for London GPs who were struggling, he expanded it to all doctors and across the whole UK and Mm. made a song and dance about it and put the well-being of healthcare professionals up there. And to think that that happened from a, you know, from my silly, disgusting, weird diaries that I wrote, that, (laughs) that, that, that's for me that's that's, it's unbelievable that the arts can have that sort of effect and you know doing good is also quite selfish because it gives you your dopamine buzz and you know all all charity you know has an equal and opposite reaction and I do enjoy 
doing it and I want to do more. We published a book over the pandemic called Dear NHS, which was a hundred celebrities yeah. uh, writing their personal stories about the healthcare system or things that happened to their families. And, um, and we gave all the profits of that to, um, to, uh, to NHS charities together and to the Lullaby Trust, who I'm a patron of, who support families bereaved of babies and of young children. And that's raised quarter of a million quid for the charities and counting and hopefully will continue to sell. That is, um, I, I do, in, I do enjoy that side of things. And mm. when life has calmed down a bit and every author's got their shelf life, obviously. And when I'm, when I'm being pulped and only available in the, <laughs> in the bargain bins in, uh, in discount warehouses. That's not going to happen. I, it happens, it happens to everyone. Uh, and, uh, I, I want to devote a lot more time to that. And also whether it's working in policy or directly teaching doctors or medical students, I think I can, I can help people struggle less hopefully tell me about the time because you talked about meeting matt hancock but you also met jeremy hunt didn't you around the time that you yes. uh, wrote the book that went slightly less well um and it was my fault as much as his because <laughs> this was a man who i had a thousand questions for who'd occupied an unreasonable amount of my thoughts for very many years and in fair play to him, he was the one who invited me, which he didn't have to do. And I went along and I had a piece of paper, two sides of A4 that I'd scribbled all these, all these questions on. And so I, he was talking to me over a cup of tea in his office and, and I was just asking question after question after question. And he's a, whatever your political views, he is unquestionably a very clever man. And he had an answer to every single question that I asked because um, smart as I might sometimes think I am, I hadn't come up with any question that he hadn't answered a thousand times before. So it was like playing tennis against a pro, you know, well, the, you know, yeah. the, the best thing I could do just got, got swatted back. And, mm. but I kept asking my questions and eventually uh, he clearly just got a bit fed up and was like, what is this? An interview? I thought I'd invited you in for a nice chat. And uh, so he lost his rag a bit, um, and, which was <laughs> maybe, maybe I haven't grown out of my little shitness. Um, you got up and, his nose. I love it. Yeah. And, uh, and, then the, and then it all ended, obviously, fairly soon afterwards. And uh, there wasn't a great atmosphere in that in that particular office uh on in in Whitehall and and I was I don't like that sort of thing particularly and so I said I'm really sorry if I come across uh nicer on paper than I do in uh, in real life and he said oh no I think you've been quite consistent and uh <laughs> it was a very good line and that was that that was my meeting <laughs> wow well, good on you for taking him on. Because, you know, he was the one who was saying that junior doctors were being greedy, right? He was the one yes, creating um, this, this yeah, message he, that was in he, he was, I think, responsible for a lot that went that went very wrong in the health service over mm. over the period of time that he was steering the ship. And mm. um, But, you know, uh, in a sort of weird third act redemption, he's been one of the most sensible people because he's on the um, the health select committee and uh, talking about the government's response to the pandemic. He was one of the people 
saying loudest that they were very slow to go into lockdown the first time and pointing out that, um, you know, that lives were obviously lost as a result. And I think when the eventual public inquiry happens, he will be painted in a, in a very good light and, and will be seen to have done a lot right. Mm. How how do you think the current government have done? Obviously, the NHS have done incredibly. Um, yes. But how do you think the government have done? I'm going to go COVID? with less incredibly. Um, <laughs> but you're absolutely right. The, the NHS didn't buckle and it didn't buckle because of a million and a half people pulling together, going further beyond the call of duty than they've ever done before. And, and they, they always go beyond the call of duty, creating intensive care units out of dust, out of old operating theatres and disused mm. parts of hospital, wearing PPE equipment all day that sort of scores pressure marks into their faces, you know, wearing inadequate PPE, literally putting their lives on the line. Over 600 health and care workers tragically lost their lives, moving away from their families for months on end so they don't bring back a potentially fatal virus to vulnerable people in their households. They are the heroes of the story. The Mm. government, less so. I'm glad that I wasn't having to make the decisions because there were some impossibly difficult decisions to make and nothing's ever as easy as, well, lockdown equals good, no lockdown equals bad. You know, there are profound implications for any decisions that are made, but they Mm. made a lot of mistakes. They did go too late into the lockdown. They didn't provide adequate PPE for healthcare professionals. There was a tragedy with the nursing homes that was an avoidable tragedy and I still don't think they've properly confessed to quite how much they dropped the ball on that and then Mm. since then the the debacle with the with the schools what's happening now and these poor people going to universities but worst of all the way to get out of this sort of pandemic or any sort of infectious disease, as proved time and time and time again, is by testing, it's by tracing, and it's by Mm. isolating those people. And the testing, however world-beating they say it is, it hasn't been good enough. And the contact tracing has not been good enough. The isolation is, of course, down to individuals ultimately, but the examples that were set by very senior people flouting the rules in the most extraordinary way have clearly made huge sections of the public. People who've who'd given up months of their lives and not seen relatives and friends and lived their lives at all for for months think actually do i need to go along with it if dominic cummings can't be bothered to to obey the rules so Mm. and and here we are again we've seen it coming like a train with its lights on down the tracks and I, I, I can't score them very well for it. And mm. I don't know many people who work in hospitals and GP practices, and I speak to those people a lot. I don't know many people who've got kind words for the decisions that were made. When you saw all that, and it's it's worth pointing out, you did offer your services when the pandemic started, didn't you? But um... oh, Yeah, there was, there was a shout out for, for any retired, for whatever reason, healthcare professionals to, 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 um, to support. And obviously... Um, Obviously, I, I put my hand up. As it turns out, there wasn't a, a huge amount of interest in uh, gynecologists who've not worked for 10 years. Uh, but, uh, but you know, the, I'm, I'm so proud of 
my friends who mm. who who still work there and what and what they've done it's an extraordinary thing do you ever miss it when you see them coming together and solving a huge problem in such a beautiful way i miss it all the time and i mm. i i missed it even when uh, even in peacetime um mm. uh i miss working in a team i miss the patient contact but as pathetic as it sounds the thing i miss most is and it's again it's a selfish thing it's the the nice feeling the smile on your face when you're coming home having done a good thing even though you're three hours late even though the parking meter was earning more money than you during the shift even though covered in blood you know you did a good thing and the media obviously is profoundly important arts are crucial and we're and the disrespect for the arts being shown currently on the financial basic by the basis by the government is is unforgivable but you know there's no denying that you know you you help people more directly if you do give them a cesarean section when their baby's in distress than by writing on a sitcom that the guardian quite likes <laughs> What a lovely man. God, any of the thoughts and things that came up in that discussion, please write to us and, and give us your thoughts. Hello at homosapienspodcast.com or at homosapiens on Instagram. Um, I think what's fascinating about him is listening to the series of institutions that he went to so he went to you know he just described himself that he went to a funny school where you you know he didn't see a girl until he was 18 or can't remember exactly the age and then he went to medical school and how institutionalized that was with the rugby boys and the centurion drinking games and uh you know and then he went into medicine and and how prescribed the expected way to be is in that world i think it's fascinating that through that you see this person who is incredibly funny and incredibly astute and observant growing and beginning to start questioning and start writing things down and turning this into a story and asking why these certain things are the way they are. And as a result, you know, has done things which are massive. I cannot wait to see what he does next. His current book is Kay's Anatomy. Um, which is for kids, so buy that for any kids you know, or any adults. I'm, I've certainly read it, think it's great. And please do also go back to the beginning and read This Is Going To Hurt. I think it's, it's such a beautifully funny book that contains a lot of humour, but also a lot of, a lot of sadness um, and a lot of beautifully observed moments. What a journey. Please write in, tell us your thoughts. And listeners, if you're looking for any sartorial excellence, everpress.com forward slash homo sapiens, you can get yourself a t-shirt. You can write to us at hello at homosapienspodcast.com or at homosapiens on Instagram. Please rate and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Give us a review and you could, you listeners could win a free t-shirt on Homo Sapiens Extra next week. We'll be giving them away. I think that's it for now. Thank you so much for listening. Go read Adam's book. Loads of love to you all. Bye-bye. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Powered by Spirit Studios.